Friends, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, as Joy gave the announcement, she mentioned that this morning is the first Sunday of the month, the first Sunday of October, so it's Communion Sunday. And I'd like to encourage you at home to have your elements ready. At the end of the message, we'll share together the uh, bread and the cup, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. Here in the church, we have these little solo fill cups. I know I dropped some off visiting Hans and Ruth this past week. And so if you would like some of these as well to participate with us at home, just give us a call. If nobody's uh, in the office at the time, just leave a message and we will get some of these to you to uh, take part in the communion at home. In our message today, as we have the last couple weeks, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. In Mark chapter 13, as we've seen these last number of weeks, it is the extended teaching of Jesus as he was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. Uh, The picture that reminds us of that, as we've seen the last few weeks, Jesus on the Mount of Olives overlooking the the Temple Mount as they asked him uh, in response to his statement that not one stone of the temple would be left on top of the other. They asked Jesus, when would this take place? What will be the signs of your return? And so Jesus, uh, in the Olivet Discourse, as we see in all of the all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus lay out the fact that there are going to be signs that will happen before. They won't be the great tribulation or the return of Christ, but they will be like the birth pains before the arrival of a baby. And Jesus says, you'll see these signs. Keep your eyes. Watch out for them. And then Jesus went into depth and talked about those terrible times of judgment and struggle in the world, including the abomination of desolation well, which would cause the worship of God at the Temple Mount to be uh, completely abandoned and stopped. In fact, we saw that the man of lawlessness, the beast, the Antichrist, will set himself up to be worshipped. And then with the great tribulation and all the wrath of God unleashed upon the world, Jesus said there'll be terrible days, terrible tribulation, unlike any days that will ever happen in human history. But they will end with the glorious appearing of Jesus, the Son of Man coming on the clouds as prophesied in the book of Daniel so long before. And now at the very end of the Gospel of Mark chapter 13, but longer in Matthew and Luke, Jesus illustrates his teaching and his message of watchfulness to keep your eyes open, stay awake, watch for his return, Jesus illustrates it with some parables and with some teaching. Uh, For instance, Jesus right away, as we'll see this morning, he uses the fig tree as an illustration. In Mark 13, beginning in verse 28, Jesus says, Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So Jesus, he sets the tone. He says, 
The return is at hand. He says, you are in the last days. This age of grace technically are part of those last days. We are all to keep our eyes open for the return of Christ and the signs of his appearing. And Jesus used a very brief illustration, the fig tree. The fig tree in the land of Israel, as summer is approaching, the olive tree goes into blossom, its leaves come out. And as we've all noticed, even in our land, there's always those certain trees, that certain plant that are the last to arrive the last trees to leaf out before summer in Israel that's the fig tree so Jesus says remember the fig tree when its leaves come out summer's at hand in the same way Jesus says these signs that I've described to you they are the last things to happen before the tribulation and his return he said, he said, bank on it. My words will never pass away. Now, briefly, we're not going to go into, into detail what Jesus meant by this generation will not pass away. Some people think it's the generation that sees those signs and prophetic things happening, which gives us a length of time. Some people believe that generation kicked off with the restoration of Israel back in 1948. Others believe it's a more general teaching that this generation of faith, the family of God, including you and I, won't pass away. We will endure to the very end. We'll still be here. But as it is, Jesus, in these passages that we're going to look at, continuing uh, to finish Mark chapter 13, his major, major message is watchfulness. Watch. That's what I call today's message. Not often it's a one-word title, and it's an imperative title because in Greek, the Greek word is imperative. It is a command. Now, it's an important word, and it's used again and again. I don't do this often, but I put it on the screen. It's, it's, it's the Greek word, Gregorio. You say, I've heard that somewhere. Well, of course you have. The English name, Gregory, is actually the Greek word for watch, wakefulness. Some of the definitions of Gregorio in Greek is to keep awake, to either literally or figuratively to watch, to be vigilant, to be on guard, to be spiritually alert, not sinfully, lazily asleep, but to watch. Now, this watchfulness is mentioned again and again by Jesus. Now, it's nice to hear, and normally I just connect this watchfulness to keep one eye on the sky waiting for the return of Christ. But brothers and sisters, beginning with the watchfulness of the return of Christ and continuing throughout the New Testament, the theme of watchfulness should cover our entire lives. This alertness, spiritual alertness, is a characteristic which should characterize all of God's children. We should be spiritually alert and in tune with what God is doing in the world around us and in our own hearts. And we want to look at that as we look at Gregorio. This word shows up again and again and again. Watchfulness. We often think of watchfulness as people who are standing guard. I have a friend who is a prison guard at Folsom Prison in California. He's a former pastor who became a missionary to the Philippines. And then on return to the U.S., he began to work with troubled youth. And one thing led to another. He's a prison guard at Folsom Prison working with troubled people. And he stands watch. And one of the most difficult things, he says, are the nighttime because 
the men under him, the other correctional officers, that's what they're referred to, COs. The other COs are supposed to walk the tears and look in every cell, but at night it's so hard because they get sleepy and tired and lazy, and most nights nobody checks the cells. It's a constant battle. Well, watchfulness is important. I saw an example of this the first time I went to Israel in the late 90s. I have a picture here of the border fence. It's a, not a wall, it's a security fence. You'll often see pictures from the Holy Land of terrible, those ugly, giant concrete walls. You know, the security barrier between Israel and its neighbors, 97% of that barrier is little more than a chain link fence. Only 3% are those big concrete walls. And those are only there because shootings are taking place on, uh, to nearby roads and traffic. And to keep the people from shooting at cars, those concrete barriers are erected. Now you look at that and you say, well, that's still a pretty hefty barrier, that fence. Well, the fence isn't the important thing. The watchfulness comes in from that little road beside the fence. And those soldiers who are constantly patrolling I didn't take this picture. They are very touchy about you taking pictures of security areas in Israel. Put your phone, your camera away. But I was amazed by it because the first time I saw the barrier between Israel and its neighbor Jordan, and that's 240 kilometers of this type of fence, he said, look at that fence. Now that fence doesn't look like much. There's a picture, a diagram, the next diagram. It shows an average Israeli border uh, barrier, uh, border fence. You have surveillance cameras regularly, you have the fence, you have a ditch. And then inside the Israeli side, this isn't the border, it's just a protective barrier, but inside the, 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 the uh, barbed wire and chain link fence, you see a paved road, and that's regularly, unlike those prison tiers where the guards would go to sleep, this is constantly patrolled. And the patrols are not only in a jeep, but they're also on foot. And the important part of those patrols is as you see on each side in gray, if you look at the, it's hard to see, but the, uh, the uh, number three is defined as fine sand. And I've seen it, it is. They put down very fine sand and they drive on it and they rake it like the machines that rake the sand traps at a golf course. And that's for footprints. A, a fox can't cross the border that they don't know it. They have listening devices underneath. The fences are often electrified and have sensors. But they depend most of all on watchfulness, looking for footprints in the sand. And they're doing it constantly. They are on guard. They are awake. They are vigilant. They are alert. They are watchful. And for good reason. For good reason. Since the year 2000, only in the last 20 years, a thousand Israelis have died at the hands of terrorists, many of them incursions across these border areas from the outside. So they need to be watchful. But brothers and sisters, as we finish off Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, you, you need to be watchful as well. Awake, eyes open. Now we'll look briefly this morning before we share communion at three areas of watchfulness that Scripture spells out for us. The first, friends, is that we should be watchful. We should watch and be ready, be prepared for Christ's return. This is where Mark begins. Jesus says, stay awake, 
Keep your eyes open. Look for the signs. It's like the fig tree. Watch for the buds and the leaves to come out to know that he will soon return. And the underlying message in watchfulness is to be prepared, be about your master's business, doing what God wants you to do, living a Christ-like, Christ-centered life so that when he returns, you won't be surprised in a bad way. You won't be found astray or asleep when the master comes back as i mentioned in the other chapters in matthew and luke there's much longer stories about this the lamp reminds us of the gospel of luke and matthew that speak of the the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come the bridal party to start and the wise ones had enough oil from the watches of the night and the foolish ones ran out of oil and missed the wedding you know, Jesus told numerous stories like that. Uh, the, the, the house and the man breaking in, the parable of the talents. Matthew spoke of the, the sheep and the goats. Many things, and they all have the message of watchfulness. Watch, keep awake, stay alert. Well, in Mark, Mark condenses it down to the parable of the fig tree and this brief story. In Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 32, Jesus makes the point to be watchful because the hour of his return is unknown. Beginning in verse 32, reading to the end of the chapter, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. That alert is Gregorio. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Five times Jesus uses Gregorio in this passage to be awake, to be alert, to watch, to stand guard, to look for his return. In those times of night he talks about, you know, sundown, when the rooster crows, dawn, those are the four watches of the night that they, they, they knew of in those days, especially the Roman soldiers kept four watches throughout the night so there was always somebody alert and awake and watching now jesus says it's going to be like the a man returning you don't want him to return home your master and find the servants asleep or lazy or distracted or off doing their own thing when they should be at work i've told this story more than once even from this pulpit the hard lesson I learned years ago, I was the bottom of the totem pole working in a funeral home. And uh, I had everybody was senior to me. And it was a weekend, it was a Saturday, and we had no funerals. And I had washed every car, and I had vacuumed the chapel. I had polished the caskets in the showroom. And then we were just sitting and waiting for a call, and no call was coming. And the man who was senior to me though he was uh, not the manager or the owner, but he was senior to me, he said, you might as well, we were downtown Edmonton, you might as well go catch the bus, leave a little early today, I'll listen for the phone. So I left probably about 20, 30 minutes early. Oh, I can catch the bus if I just hurry. 
Well, wouldn't you know the owner, five minutes before closing time, the owner arrives, and I'm nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Let me tell you, Monday morning was not pleasant. I got to go into the owner's office, and he, he, he asked me whose name was on my paycheck. <laughs> it was his name, you know. Oh, you could tell where that was going. It wasn't good. So I know what Jesus is saying. Be on duty. Don't take time off. And spiritually, that's what he's asking us to do. Now, you know, it's not just Jesus, but he, he uses that, but it is Paul and Peter. All the New Testament uses these pictures. Jesus also says, look in Luke chapter 21. This is, this is the uh, parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke. Look how his return and watchfulness is described here. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus says, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day, that's the great and terrible day of the Lord, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Because Jesus is reminding us there that that's the judgment day and judgment begins with the family of God and we'll stand before Him, the righteous judge, to give account for how we lived our lives. Was it a Christ-centered life or was it a self-centered life? Were we about our master's business? He says, don't let it snap on you like a trap. Be watchful, be alert, be reminded of that. The Apostle Paul, uh, speaking of the return of Jesus being like a thief in the night, he uses that phrase a number of times. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, speaking of the return of Christ, because the Thessalonian church was very uh, aware of the return of Christ, his teaching on that, and they wanted to be ready for it, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning verse 1. He says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying, Peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, this is us, how we are to live our lives during this age of grace, waiting for Jesus' return. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. The word alert, Gregorio. Let us be alert, vigilant, watchful, and awake, waiting for the return of Jesus. Paul says, the world in sin is like people spiritually asleep, spiritually dead. He says, you're spiritually alive, so you need to also be spiritually awake. What's our life? What's at the center of our life? How are we living in our lives? We can be so busy as the passage said earlier, but the anxieties of life, the busyness, the fear of the pandemic, the restrictions, everything crowds in and thoughts of the Lord are crowded out. If we're honest, friends, 
That's many of our days. That's many of our days. Not Christ-focused, not God-centered, but it becomes about just the ordinariness and struggle of daily life. But Jesus says, keep watch. But it's not just for his return. It begins there. That characteristic of expectancy that should be in all of God's children. But two other areas. We also need to be watchful because life is full of testing and trials and temptation. All of those are the same things. All temptation is a test. We all encounter tests and trials, storms of life. They all come our way and we need to be alert and watchful for them. Watch and stand firm in testing, trial, temptation. This is part of the Christian life. Matthew chapter 26, following up on his teaching in the Olivet Discourse, we see in verse 40 and 41 that Jesus, following that teaching soon after, Matthew chapter 26 finds us there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus struggling in prayer, asking them to stay awake. Physically, it's such a picture of us as Christians. Jesus says, I'm struggling, I'm praying, I need you to stay awake, pray with me. And he comes back again and again and he finds them sleeping. In verse 40 it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. That's interesting. You hear that quoted all the time. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And friends, what Jesus is saying there is that when you are tired, when you are hurting, when you are ill, when you are struggling, he says, you will be tested spiritually. Guarantee. Because the Bible, we know, it gives indications that there is more than just flesh about us. There is body there's soul, suke, the mind, and there is spirit, panuma, the breath that God breathed into us. Body, spirit, mind. And yet, we're all unified. When one part hurts, it all hurts. And I've seen this as a pastor again and again in ministry. I have visited people who are hurting or in the hospital, are struggling with the weight of years that come with uh, old age. And they are being tested spiritually because of that. We often know that people are most vulnerable, for instance, to temptation uh, when they are tired, especially those people who are away from home, away from their support, and they are working hard and they are tired. Heaven help them. They are vulnerable. When we are physically worn down, sick or tired, we are being tested and tempted making bad decisions, immoral choices, or just doubt. I knew one woman, she throughout her ministry, uh, she had wonderful ministry to children with Child Evangelism Fellowship. She was truly a saint, looking forward to great reward in heaven. But I remember just before the finish line, she had a number of health problems. And those health problems precipitated a crisis of doubt with this godly woman who was way ahead of me spiritually, and yet she struggled with enormous crushing doubt. And all I could do was encourage her and tell her, I said, 
you know, the doubt you're experiencing, it's not, it's not from lack of faith because you had great faith. I said it's because of the physical, physiological, and psychological trials you're going through. She struggled with that because she's all one piece. And God says, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So friends, be alert. If you are hurting, if you are tired, if you're a man and you got low blood sugar, you're going to be tempted to be a grump and lash out and be mean and do a lot of things. But friends, we're all one piece. Jesus says, be aware of that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we are told that it's enough that our own bodies sometimes conspire against us in the struggles of temptation and testing. But in 1 Peter 5, familiar passage, Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Gregorio, be awake. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. There's spiritual warfare. There is a malevolent enemy that wants you to fall and fail. Jesus says, be alert, be awake, keep your eyes open to the schemes of the devil as well. Keep your eyes awake. And you know, sometimes it, it hurts us, but sometimes we see people struggle and fall. We certainly do. We all fail. We all stumble. And when we do, we trust that there will be those to come alongside of us and restore us. As Galatians chapter 6, 1 says, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, but you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself. Are you also may be tempted? you will be tested as well. And I often think of that verse. We usually focus on the gentle restoration because that's a beautiful thing and we all long for it. But friends, why are we vulnerable then to fall ourselves? It could be pride that it wasn't us who made the mistake. It could just be complacency, we who are spiritual. We get used to that, but friends, pastors, missionaries, everyone struggles. And we all need to be alert and aware that we are in a spiritual battle. Now, the type of testing that God wants us to go through isn't to make us fail. I have a picture here from last week. I'm strange in some ways. One of the things I do, I enjoy, I follow online a company owned by Elon Musk, that electric car guru guy. He owns a space company, SpaceX. He builds rocket ships. Not rocket ships like the old days that fly up and fall down and burn up. No, his are reusable. They fly up into space, deliver their satellite, and they come and gently land, and they fly them again and again. He just recently flew astronauts to the space station, and his technology is called disruptive technology because it completely makes all previous space vehicles obsolete. They have to now become reusable. It's incredible. And he's building down in the southern tip of Texas a little village called Boca Chica near Brownsville. He's building the next generation of space vehicles. He, he was a Star Trek fan. You can't get away from that because his new vehicle is called Starship. And uh, it's built of stainless steel, but not just any stainless steel, a type of steel that at extreme high pressures and high temperatures from reentry as well as low temperatures because of the 
the freezing, freezing levels of the, 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 the fuel, which is liquid oxygen and methane, the most advanced rocket motors, well, they're going to need a type of ship that can withstand those pressures. And what they do, unlike NASA, Boeing, the old dinosaurs of the space age, that uh, take years on a computer and then years to develop and years to test, they build a new spaceship every week and then they blow it up. It's, it's called iterative development. And what they do, and with what this was a picture last week, was of a new fuel tank for his starship that's going to be flying probably in the next month up to 15 kilometers and then do a belly flop and land on its hind legs. It's incredible to watch. But he says, we test to failure. And they had a pressure tank made of new 304L stainless steel and they filled it with liquid nitrogen and they increased the pressure and they failed. They failed to fail. They couldn't get it to blow up. They tried on about half a dozen occasions and finally last week at three in the morning all of the space junkies were online. I was asleep. They were all online watching this and at three in the morning, kaboom, they finally tested it to failure. Well, they learned so much from that. It's incredible. That's not what God wants you to do. God doesn't look at you and say, hmm, they did well. I'm going to make it harder. I'm going to change it up. I'm going to keep loading you up and loading you up with one struggle and one hard thing and one temptation after another until you explode, till you snap, till you fall. That's not what God does. Whenever a test comes your way, God gives you the answer. Whenever there is a storm, God gives you a haven. Whenever there is a struggle, God gives you the way out. And that's the, the important teaching of watchfulness that's recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, familiar passage. The Apostle Paul writes, don't be cocky, he says. He begins by saying, so... If you think you are standing firm, be careful. That's Gregorio. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Not tested to failure, tested to victory. Stronger and stronger each time. What are the ways that God provides? Well, primarily, friends, it's not rocket science, literally. It's the Bible, the Word of God. That's your lifeline. Not just the Bible, but it's the Holy Spirit that applies it to your hearts. Because in that, we have the very presence of Jesus I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He won't abandon you. He's with you. When we stumble, when we fall, we choose to ignore his presence and do it on our own. He gives you brothers and sisters, a church family to gather around you and support you. You will not be tested beyond what you are able to bear. So friends, watchfulness is so important in living the Christian life in a world of storms, temptations, and oppositions. And finally, it's important, he says, to be alert and awake when it comes to praying. As Jesus said earlier, watch and pray, he told us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. 
the Apostle Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. He says, he goes on, he says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. On all occasions, pray without ceasing, and that comes from being alert, awake to what's happening in the world around us. Well, friends, I want to finish today before we come to communion with a passage from the book of Romans that I think sums it up. I rarely will quote from the message because in Sunday morning, I want a translation of God's word. The message, as encouraging as it is, it's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Before he passed away, he made a wonderful paraphrase. But I think his paraphrase of Romans 13 is wonderful. I want to read it for you in closing before we move to communion. But make sure, the Apostle Paul reminds us, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work He began when when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, that's practical. That puts it so well. And friends, one thing we want to do to keep us alert is to keep our eyes on Jesus. As we come now to the time of the Lord's table, normally it is longer because we're at the front and we're distributing it. And as my wife reminded me, we don't have quite as much time with these little cups for spiritual reflection. But we need to do that day by day as we are alert. For the Apostle Paul said that what we do at the table of the Lord, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us is something we do purposely until He returns. This activity of God's people keeps His return in mind. One day, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will share the cup with Him in person. Now we do it remembering what He has done for us. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
So friends, let's peel off the cellophane and take the wafer, which reminds us of the body of Christ, which was given for us. Let's give thanks for that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, his willingness, Lord, to obey you, to follow your plan. Lord, even though it cost him so, he suffered in the garden when we, his followers, weren't alert. We fell asleep. We didn't watch him pray. And yet, Lord, Jesus asked you to let that cup pass by, but not his will, but your will be done. And it was your will that he drink the cup of wrath which was intended for us. Lord, we thank you that he went to the cross and gave his body freely on our behalf. We pray it all in his name. Amen.